Welcome to the Trauma Survivorhood Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, an IFS-informed trauma recovery coach. This show features interviews from guests all around the world as they share their impactful stories and deliver hope and inspiration through their personal post-traumatic growth. We explore and discuss resources and coping strategies to support the survivor community to thrive in their own healing journeys. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Trauma Survivorhood podcast. I have with me today, Amy Paget. Um, Amy is an accredited trauma-informed coach and alumni of Moving the Human Spirit, MTHS. She's a certified breathwork coach through Yoga Body and trained in somatic embodiment with Linda Tai. In addition, she's a certified self-sabotage coach. She's an elementary school teacher as well as a coach. Her background in education as well as her Bachelor's of Science Honors degree in psychology blend well with her ability to teach, foster, and cultivate new learning in trauma recovery. Amy understands trauma through a personal perspective as she too is a trauma survivor. She witnessed her brother die tragically at a young age and learned to embody a new role in the world of her grieving family. She became the people pleaser and adopted the fawning trauma response pattern. She is also a childhood sexual abuse survivor and understands how shame and guilt follow abuse survivors into adulthood. For several years, Amy battled an autoimmune disease that left her unable to work or do many daily activities. She understands how the body remembers trauma, even when the mind tries to forget. She was covered in oozing blisters on her hands, feet, and lips, three parts of the body that Amy believes hold significant importance. Fittingly, as a teacher, Amy says she literally learned her way through recovery. She deepened her education and embraced every opportunity to learn about healing and post-traumatic growth. Her belief is that healing is not a final destination, but rather a journey that keeps getting better. I love that. She understands the importance of having a safe space to share and offers compassion and safety to her clients. She works with women who are trying to navigate their childhood traumas that are locked within their bodies, and her approach to healing incorporates the mind, body, and spirit. AIM True Coaching is rooted in science, spirituality, and creativity to build personal goals for each client. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate this. Um, Your story, oh gosh, so much trauma, so many different forms spanning over many, many years. And here you are thriving now as a a multiple coach of so many different modalities. Um, You're helping others. You're you're bringing people with you on the journey. So just share a little bit more about your journey. How did you, how did you land here? Yeah. So thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I think for me, I was someone who really ignored the fact that I had trauma. I pretended that it didn't happen. And like most survival skills, that worked for a really long time. And it worked until it didn't. And then, you know, then I I ended up with these blisters all over me, all over the um, soles of my feet and the palms of my hands and my lips. And I really couldn't do the things I used to be able to do anymore. And I couldn't keep up with that busyness. And so for me, I feel like it was my body screaming at me to say, okay, you really need to stop and, you know, acknowledge the wounds that you have within you. And so that's really what I had to do, but it was a, a difficult journey because I had to not only heal physically, but, you know, emotionally as well. And there was, there were so many layers to it, right? Because I had hit it, hit it for so long. 
And so then all of a sudden it was, it was there really prominent and I couldn't ignore it anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, the death of my brother was really tragic and I was so young and children internalize things so differently. For me, I really internalized that, you know, it was my fault and I was responsible for the happiness of my parents. You know, they were grieving this unimaginable loss and I didn't really understand what had happened other than, you know, my brother was gone and my parents were not the same anymore. And so I became this people pleaser and felt that it was my responsibility to, you know, look after them. Um, And in a way, there was a lot of abandonment as well, right? Because my parents weren't the same anymore, you know? And so, and also I really don't hold any ill will towards my parents. You know, they were doing the best that they could at the time. You know, it was an awful situation. Um, But because of that, because of what I internalized, then when I was uh, sexually abused, I did not tell my parents. I felt that it was too much for them. And so I tried to bear that alone. And the way I did that was just not talk about it, right? Just not talk about it. Just keep going. Just push through. And I embodied that my whole life. Yeah. And I really took on, you know, the day that my brother died, it was very chaotic. It was, there was a sense of urgency and fear. And those are things that I also embodied going through life. And so then when I got sick, it was like, whoa, all of this is coming to the surface and I need to find a way to deal with it. Yeah. And, and at the same time, for you, know, you. <laughs> literally, is it's because it's actually coming to the surface of your of your hands and your feet and your lips. It wasn't, you know, like an internal a digestion issue, migraines. It literally was coming to the surface. Yeah, it, it was. And it was so debilitating. Right. Because I, I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do. And I was really good at pretending, really, that I had it all together because I had really pretended my whole life. You know, and so all of a sudden I couldn't pretend anymore. I I couldn't keep going. And so that was really, really hard for me to acknowledge that, okay, now I have to acknowledge these wounds, but now I also have to acknowledge that I can't do things. I need people to help me. Um, So that was hard. And then, you know, to navigate the disability system as well, right? Because it's really set up to cross-examine your truth and question, you know, your reality And as a trauma survivor, that's really awful to feel that rejection. And so I did do it and I had a lot of help and a lot of people support me. Um, But when I first started to heal, I honestly wanted someone to just say, okay, here's the checklist. Here's what you need to do. Just get it done. And then we can move on and I can just, you know, go on with my life. (laughs) Isn't that so unfair when no one gives you that checklist? It's so I know. And I was like, where is it? (laughs) Because you can do things really well, right? So if someone gave you like, you know, a map, which we don't have for trauma recovery, right? I often call that my listeners know amaze. That's the word that I use, right? You're going to hit some dead ends and, you know, find some rock bottoms and get turned around and you're so dizzy inside of there, but there's still, there's still a lot of joy in the recovery process itself, but yeah, no, definitely not no, uh, 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 map for the course. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I really wanted one. <laughs> oh. 
So you created your own. It sounds like you you kind of did, right? Jumping into, you know, embodiment for yourself. Um, I know Linda Ty's course, it is, it's on my to-do list for 2023 for sure. Um, I've heard nothing but amazing things um, about that and somatic experiencing and um, those kind of things. Tell us a little bit more about what um, what somatic embodiment means and how it's really helpful for survivors. Mm. So somatic embodiment really is, you know, befriending your nervous system and, and understanding what it means for you because everybody's different, right? And so understanding what it means for you to be in the different states of your nervous system. Like, what does it look like when you're in dorsal? What does it look like when you're in ventral? You know, parasympathetic, sympathetic. What, what does that look and feel like for you? And so when you know what it feels like, you know, then you can understand it better. And then you, there's more conscious awareness of, you know what, I'm, I'm triggered right now. And my body is responding this way because I'm triggered. And and so really when you befriend your nervous system, then you are able to move forward because you understand it better. Yeah. What does that moving forward look like? So once you recognize I'm triggered, this is what's happening in my nervous system. How are you able to use that information and, and data collect it, but actually you have to do something with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with a lot of my clients, I do story states. So, you know, what is your nervous system story state? You know, what's it, what's the story telling you right now? And what does that look like for you? And then when you're in that state, how can you self-regulate and how can you co-regulate? So, so many trauma survivors have spent their life co-regulating with the people in their lives, right? That's what I did as a child. I, I co-regulated with my parents. I took my cues from them, you know, and, and they were really dysregulated. And so then my system wasn't regulated. And so it's about finding healthy ways to self-regulate and co-regulate with people. So, you know, when you're feeling um, dysregulated, what are some ways that you can regulate yourself on your own, but as well as with other people or or even with pets, like a lot of people use their pets to co-regulate. You know, I know that we have a dog and when I put the dog on my lap, it's a little lap dog and I just cuddle with him. I can feel my nervous system calming. So really knowing what works for you, because everybody's nervous system is different. Someone else may not like an animal on their lap. That might not feel calming for them. Right. Right. I learned that so powerfully with um, the with the breath work piece. Right. And I know that you're a breath work coach um, and trained in that. And I did learn and I was really surprised to hear that there's certain uh, survivors. It generally seems to be like violent abuse where maybe there was strangulation or drowning or something tragic like that happening. That breath work can be really triggering for some mm-hmm. survivors where for so many others like using your breath to, to calm you or to activate you. If you're in like a hypo arousal, you can kind of activate a little bit with it. But I learned that and I was like, oh yeah, there is literally a different regiment for different people and their different types of trauma and how their body kind of stored it. I love this idea though, of like co-regulating and you're right when you're in your trauma, most most trauma, I mean, yes, there's some acute, you know, car accidents, um, you know, uh, acts of God, that kind of thing. But a lot of trauma that really infuses into the body is going to come from some type of relational trauma. And so when you were co-regulating with your parents, that's where you would have gotten into that like fawning response. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what the fawning response is and what that people pleasing, how that how that manifested itself in your life and how you were able to kind of move away from that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fawning re- response really is 
that, you know, you will, you become a people pleaser. And I really put the needs of others first and so much so that I really lost track of what my own needs were. You know, they really became entangled with everybody else's. And so when someone would say, well, what do you want? I, I don't know. I really didn't know because I, I took my cues from everybody else, right? And put everybody else's needs first. And as a child, that's what I did with my parents. You know, I, I put their needs first. And so mine took a back burner. And then I embodied that my whole life. And, you know, with people pleasing comes that that guilt and shame that, oh, I really have to do everything for everybody else first, you know, and my needs don't matter. And I'm not really clear on what my needs are. And, and so for me, it was getting really clear about what do I need? And that is a hard thing to do when someone says, well, what do you need? I, I don't know. <laughs> right? Because a lot of times you don't know. So it's not necessarily an answer that can come right away. It takes a lot of reflecting yeah. and a lot of really thinking, okay, you know, what do I need in listening to my body? And what does my body need? What is my body telling me right now? You know, and being able to identify where in my body I feel things. Right. That self-abandonment, that's that's exactly what you're talking about. And I know there might be some people listening or watching who are like, come on, if someone says, what do you need right now? You're going to know what you need. Literally, if you have abandoned your inner self, your body, your emotions, your feelings, and your own personal thoughts, the reality is you don't know that is not a lie when someone really isn't that disconnected their mind from their body. I also love you call yourself a self-sabotage coach, and this hmm. is going to be a whole nother level here, right? So self-abandonment kind of being that people-pleasing fawning response, but tell us more about this self-sabotage. What does this mean? And how do you work with clients who are struggling with this? Mm -hmm. So self-sabotage essentially is you getting in your own way, right? And so as trauma survivors, we do that. We adopt that a lot. And oftentimes it's, it's adopted in service of survival, right? So it's really important that if you are self-sabotaging, that there's no judgment there because the self-sabotage did what it was supposed to do. It allowed you to survive, right? But and, and I self-sabotage for a long time and, and it got me through life and it allowed me to be successful in many areas of my life. So I can't look back on that and say it was, an, it was awful, but it, you know, self-sabotage shows up in many forms. You know, the most common that we think of is like, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction, but there's also things like perfectionism, procrastination, um, you know, compulsive shopping or e eating, you know, so there's a lot of different forms of self-sabotage and really it is you getting in your own way. And it, it's because you really don't know what your needs are, you know, so it goes back to that. I don't know what my needs are. I'm not really sure how to move forward. And so I'm just going to stay stuck, really. Yeah. You know, that's what self-sabotage does. It keeps you stuck. And so it's really acknowledging, okay, what am I doing right now? Is this serving my highest and best good? And then really diving into that and saying, okay, what who are the people that are involved in my self-sabotage? What's the environment that's involved in my self-sabotage? Um, what are my beliefs around this self-sabotage? Like, what am I telling myself? What am I doing? You know, how am I justifying this behavior? Because we are really good at justifying our behaviors. Great. Wow. The, the marriage of self-abandonment and self-sabotage is really 
first of all, it's, it's always important to recognize, you know, in, in IFS parts language here, right, that all your parts are good. And I love the way that you said self-sabotage is going to, it, it's its purpose and its intention is in service to the need of survival. I loved the way that you said that because that's so important to remember. But it's almost like you're trying to attain something that is not attainable right? So people pleasing would be another form of that. Like you are, you're going out self-sacrificing to people please, which is, it's impossible to please people. If people are unhappy, it's because they're unhappy (laughs) from within themselves, unfortunately. right? So we're setting this like, you know, loft perfectionism, those kinds of things. Like, yeah, you're really, you're set up for failure in in that sense, right? So self-sabotage leads to a lot of, you know, frustration and, um, you know, probably self-worth issues, I would think, right? Can you speak a little bit more on like what, I'm just imagining like the, the, the devaluation when you're not able to hit these lofty goals because you're self-sabotaged. What does that feel like and look like for someone who's been doing that for years and years and years? Mm. Well, first of all, self-sabotage is a, is a cycle, right? It's a cycle that is really familiar. And as humans, we are drawn to what feels familiar. Even if it's unhealthy, it's familiar and it feels comforting, right? right? And so we we will continue doing things that are unhealthy and we'll continue doing them until there's some awareness piece, right? There has to be some awareness that, you know what, this is keeping me stuck. But of, but of course, there is that feeling of unworthiness, right? And I felt that for a really long time. You know, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And and so it's really looking at, okay, what am I doing to feed my worthiness? You know, what am I doing to move forward? And it's a big part of healing is looking at what you are doing. We have to face some, some truths within ourselves, you know, what happened to us was not our fault, but healing is our responsibility. And so it's really looking at, you know, what are we doing to serve our highest and best good? Are we doing everything that we we can? Um, you know, is this serving my highest and best good? And really looking at um, h- how these this self-sabotage is affecting your life. What is it doing to your relationships? What is it doing to you as a person? So it's really diving deep into the things that you are doing. And it's difficult, right? It's really hard to face those those ugly truths about ourselves. Right. Yeah. Looking in that mirror and saying, this is now my, once you see it, it becomes your responsibility. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of us that run from looking at it for so long because once, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you know it, then it's that now it's your responsibility beforehand. It wasn't right. Like, Mm -hmm. and there, there is, you know, we, we want to be sensitive to, you know, the, the victimization of human beings, right? If you don't know, you don't know. Right. But once you do, you not only have a responsibility, but an opportunity, you know, to do something about that. I'm hearing like, um, you say almost like there's like a counterbalance, right? So focusing on your self-worth, especially when something has been detracting from your value and your worth for so long. So not just not doing the thing that keeps not serving you, but finding something to supplant that actually does serve you so that you can build that integrity and build that self-esteem back up. Does, does that, Mm -hmm. does that land? Is that, is that, am I hearing that right? Yeah. And, and 
it's all about repetition, right? Like when you say, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. It doesn't really work that way, right? There has to, it has to be slow and gradual, right? So it's about slowly, okay, you know what? This choice isn't, isn't working for me. It's keeping me stuck. You know, it's feeding that, those feelings of, you know, worthlessness. So I need to slowly and gradually, and, and of course, with compassion and empathy, change what I'm doing. Right. And, and so it happens through repetition. So as you slowly repeat things, and for me, there's a lot of self-talk. Um, I created these posters and I put them up along the wall. So as soon as I got up in the morning, they were there. And it was like, Amy, you are good enough. Amy, you are amazing. Amy, you can, you know, do anything that you set your mind to. So it was just, you know, I would see it first thing in the morning. Oh, okay. I'm going to start my day well. already spoken so much about so many different types of of resources here for trauma survivors, just understanding what happened to your brain, understanding your trauma response, right? One of my episodes was about the different four Fs. And then I actually, I have, I'm a slew of F people. Like, I think there's like 20 different Fs, right? Fixing and functioning, flowing, like um, befriending those kinds of things. So, but the four F response is important and understanding and recognizing abandonment and self-sabotage is, is huge. When you were moving through your healing journey, um, give us an idea idea of a couple, two, three, however many you'd like of resources that were helpful that really were catalysts in your healing? Mm -hmm. I would say I I really did literally learn my way through healing. Um, I took every course imaginable and, um, you know, and I feel like everyone, every course I took offered me some, something to move forward. Um, the two that I would say that were the most beneficial would be, you know, Linda Ty's somatic embodiment course, because, I had spent my whole life ignoring my body, you know, I didn't even, I, and I, and I didn't really understand what it meant for me to be in different states. Right. So it was like this huge awareness piece, like, oh my goodness, I, I know exactly what's happening in my body when I'm feeling shame. You know, I can identify that it's in my throat and my chest and that I can feel the tightening. Whereas before I just ignored it. Right. Right. So that one would be huge. And the breathwork one was amazing too. When I was um, seeing a therapist, she tried to do breathwork with me and it was belly breathing. And she said, well, you're not doing it right. And I was so defensive because I was like, what do you mean? I'm not doing it right. Everybody knows how to breathe. (laughs) But, you know, when I took the breathwork course, I realized that there is a science behind breathwork and there is different types of breathwork. So, you know, you can do breath work to um, stimulate different parts of your nervous system, you know, and the speed and pace of your breath work is going to change, you know, the regulation of your nervous system. And so those things were huge for me, right? Because then I had tools that I really understood because I think a lot of people just say, oh, you know, breathe in and out and, and they don't really understand how to do it properly. And so it was like, I really understood how to do it properly. And I understood how it related to my nervous system. That's awesome. I love that. Yes. Uh, Linda Ty's course is available um, just for, for anyone really to take. Um, I do, I have heard just as a disclaimer to everyone listening, it is a bit heady. There's a lot of science behind it, right? So, um, you know, mm-hmm. if you decide to take it, um, I know it would be valuable, even if you get a little bit lost on some of the things um, I'm, I'm working on. Um, 
uh, Susan McConnell's book, uh, Somatic IFS Therapy right now. So bringing the body even into parts work is super important. So that's that's my goals for 2023. <laughs> so yay. And breath work is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And Linda Tide does a really good job at, at scaffolding your learning, right? So she builds on every week, builds on it. And, and yes, it can feel really overwhelming at the beginning, but she explains it so well and builds on it. And, and yeah, so I felt like it was really beneficial. Yeah. Great. I book. learned so much from that, that course. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I'm gonna um, I can when I put your resources in the links below, I will find the link to her actual site to sign up for that course. Um, and then I will um, I'll I'll add in the the breath work also, but um, that'll all be in the show notes as will all of your contact info. But please tell people if they'd like to reach out to you or learn more about Aim True Coaching, how can they find you and where should they reach out to? Yeah, so I am on Twitter, so at Aim True Seven. Yep. My website is www.aimtruecoaching.com. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. I'll have those linked up for you. Amy, is there anything that I should have asked that didn't or anything that you want to share um, as we close out our time together? I think the biggest thing is that, you know, some people look at healing as, oh, it's a final destination. And I, my philosophy is that it really isn't right. It's continuous. And I anticipate that in a year from now, I'm going to be, you know, in such a better place than I am now, because it's just continuous journey, right? And it's spiral. And sometimes we have to go back and revisit things and, and that's okay, but there's just never really an ending and we just keep going and we keep becoming better. Well, thank you so much for being here, Amy. I appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing with us. We'll have everything linked up in the show notes to get in touch with her. And we will see you next time on the Trauma Survivorhood podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening or watching this episode of Trauma Survivorhood. For more info, show notes, and links, check out the episode guide below. Until next time, be well, survivors.